time, weather, and highways pass. Road trip radio. Hey everybody, welcome to Road Trip Radio, the only radio program that is broadcast in HD and 4K. This is the show made for all those families out there who are interested in discovering new towns and provinces from coast to coast to coast. I am Pat Kelly. And I am Caitlin Howden. And on today's edition of Road Trip Radio, we will be exploring the wonderful province of Nova Scotia, which according to their license plate is known as Canada's Ocean Playground. Get to know Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia is Canada's second smallest province, but that doesn't mean that they don't have those people packed in there. It's Canada's second most densely populated province. So Nova Scotia is kind of like that overstuffed piece of carry-on luggage that's just a little bit too big for the overhead compartment, and you're going to have to check it, and then you're, you're going to that carousel to pick up that bag, even though you thought you were just walking on, in and out, carry-on light. You get it? Nova Scotia has a population of people over the age of 100 that is seven times the world's average. Wow, must be all that ocean air. Mm. The oldest wooden house in Canada is in Annapolis, Nova Scotia, which has been there since 1707. Wow, must be all that ocean air. Yeah. Yeah. The tallest person ever born in Nova Scotia was Anna Swan, who was seven feet six inches tall. Must Must be be all all that that ocean ocean air. air. Now, I'm not too sure what 7 feet 6 inches is in meters, but honestly, no true Canadian uses meters anyways. Except in every school in the country to measure the long jump. True. And finally, Nova Scotia is the world's largest exporter of lobster. Also on today's show, we talk log rolling with an up-and-coming log roller. We learn about the province's first female police officer. And as always, we check in with our roving reporter, Peter Aldrin. Peter is in Nova Scotia finding out firsthand what there is to do and see. Peter, hi! Caitlin, howdy, hi, hi, hello. Top of the day to you. It is gorgeous here. I'm in Picto, Nova Scotia. Of course, uh... Uh, for your listeners, uh, Nova Scotia means New Scotia, uh, which begs the question, well, where the heck's that old Scotia? But who cares? We don't care. We don't miss it because the New Scotia has it going on. It's uh, a beautiful day at the Picto Lobster Carnival, which is where I am in New Scotia, Nova Scotia. Oh, I love lobster. Peter, are you enjoying the lobster? I bet you it's just delicious. Very challenging, actually. Uh, when it comes out of the can, it's so soft, but... But real lo- uh, lobster here, uh, very hard meat, uh, very, very, uh, almost impenetrable to the tooth. Uh, so I'm doing my best to, to get that inside me. P- Peter, I think you're eating it wrong, buddy. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, there's really only one way you can eat anything, and that's put it in your mouth. And the locals here are just telling me to keep on sucking. And they're uh, snickering with each other because I think they're cheering me on here. So, oh, mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself, Peter. We'll let you go. Uh, enjoy that lobster. We will talk to you soon. Yes, okay. <laughs> Why are you laughing at? What are you guys laughing at? Out on the road, road trip radio. It's now time for a Road Trip Radio Language Minute, where we explore the words and phrases you might come across while talking your way through the country. 
Nova Scotia is nearly surrounded by the ocean. Because of this, Nova Scotia has an important history with the sea, and some of their slang words have come to embody this enduring relationship. If someone from Nova Scotia tells you that what you're looking for is up along, that means that it's up the shore or inland from where you are. Sometimes people from Nova Scotia will say, either fish or cut bait. That means that a person should choose one thing or another and stop wasting time. You might also hear someone say, holy mackerel. The mackerel, a type of Atlantic fish that resembles a small tuna, is an important species to the fisheries. Another expression you might hear is like a fart in a windstorm. This means that something doesn't really matter. As you might imagine, a fart in a windstorm wouldn't make a very big impression. Hey everybody, I'm Chris. And I'm Craig. And we are the Bland Seekers. We're culinary detectives on the hunt for the blandest foods in Canada. And we won't stop until we eat them. On this season of Bland Seekers, we head to Winnipeg to eat some plain pancakes. The pancakes are so bland. <laughs> yeah! Amazing! Then we head west to Halifax to eat part of a potato. I don't even taste anything. It's too bland. Sorry, guys. Things get a little intense when we decide to munch on some extremely white bread in Regina. I can't handle this. Yes, it's, you can. It's too bland. Come on, Chris. It's too bland. It's just six more slices. If there's tasteless, uninspiring, or watery food out there, on this season of Bland Seekers, we're tracking it down and getting our snack on. We have to ask you, Chef Andre, what is in this cream of wheat? It's incredible. It doesn't taste like I'm eating anything. Uh, water and uh, wheat. Oh, that's what makes it so bland. Sick. Incredible. Truth be told, nothing's too bland for us. After all, we're, we're the, the Bland, bland seekers. seekers. Check out new episodes of Bland Seekers Tuesdays at 8 p.m. on RTR. And now, in conversation. Well, competitive log rolling isn't something every kid in Canada gets to do. Alyssa Casey of Bedford, Nova Scotia, not only does it, but she's one of the best in the world at it. She competes as a log roller at the Lumberjack World Championships, and we're going to find out a little bit more about how a 12-year-old got into this competitive sport. Alyssa, thanks for being on Road Trip Radio. Thank you for having me. You're a log roller. For those who have no idea what log rolling is, what is it? So there's a big log floating in the water, and the way it works is that there's two people on the log at once. They're both on different sides, and uh, most of the time there's a carpet on the log. And what happens is that you're trying to knock each other off the log by spinning it in different directions. Okay, so how did you get into this? So my stepfather, Darren Casey, was the one who introduced me to log rolling, and now I'm competing for the world championship. Okay, so what is the Lumberjack World Championship? Uh, the Lumberjack World Championships take place in America, down in Hayward, Wisconsin. So I'm against a lot of different kids who are my own age, and we're all trying to battle it out for the World Championships. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about the history of log rolling. Do you know where the sport comes from? Of course. So to bring it back to a very long time ago, there were a bunch of British lumberjacks who were sent over to create square timber for masts 
of sales. After a while, they started making lumber camps. These lumber camps, since there was a bunch, they began to get competitive, and so they started competing against each other. One of their sports was log rolling, which was derived from log driving. So they take it from the camp, and in the sunnier seasons, they put them in the water, step on top of one of them with a pole, and they just send the logs down the river. But instead of going down the river, you would have two people on the log, and they would try and see whoever could stay on top the longest. And it was a very popular sport back then. So what do you love most about uh, being a log roller? What do you like about doing this sport? Uh, I think my favorite part about being a log roller is that it's such a strange sport to everyone. No one really knows what log rolling is. And so when you go up to someone and they're like, do you do any sports? And I would say, I log roll. And then it's about a 15-minute conversation of me explaining everything that I'm explaining in this interview. So how do you train for this? Do you do you have a log in your bathtub at home and you just stand on it and that's how you practice? I'm afraid the logs would be a bit big for the bathtub, but we do rent out a pool during the colder seasons and we take a key log, which is basically just a log made of plastic and all that kind of stuff, and you can stand on it. It's filled up with water, and we just recently moved onto lakefront property, so now we have our actual logs out on the water. And do you have, a, like, a favorite log? Slow logs bother me. They're big, bulky. You can't move them in the slightest. So I prefer the nice, fast logs. And the way that you can tell if the log is good and fast is if it is nice and thin and it doesn't have any real scuff marks on it because a lot of the older lumberjacks use cleats and stuff with and spiked shoes, so it makes a bunch of damage onto the log. So I like the logs that are just partially damaged, so you don't have to worry about uh, losing your grip or slipping, and it's just small enough that it's extremely fast and really fun to roll on. And how many world championships have you been to? Oh, um, the one that I did this last year was my first one ever, and I'm going to be doing more and how did you do at it? Did you uh, Were you happy with uh, your results? I was rather happy with my placements. Everyone down there are at huge clubs. And um, for all I know, I am the only person in my area who knows how to log girls. And so I got eighth place. I'm very proud of my placements for my first time down there. When you first started this sport, what was it like the first time you stood on a log? How long did you stay on for? We were out in a little farm called Hatfield Farms, and my dad just dragged me there, and he said that we were going to go log rolling. So I step on the log. He's, like, holding my hand, and he's telling me what what to do. And then he just lets go, and I'm on there for 0.5 seconds. And it was the funnest thing I've ever done. (laughs) So that was the the very first time that you ever uh, attempted to log roll. Uh, Now... So that's 0.5 seconds. How long can you stay on a log now? I have no clue because the the longest I've been on there has been about 20 minutes. Oh, my God. And I could go longer if I wanted to. Like a week? Why not? Why not? What do you think are the benefits of log rolling? What do you think the best parts of it are? It helps with a lot of muscles in your body. Core strength is one of them. For me, balance is the best thing to have when it comes to any kind of sport. Well, I have a little business idea for you and I. Uh, Maybe we take the sport of log rolling down to Los Angeles and we sell a new exercise to celebrities and it's log rolling. Oh, I would do that in a heartbeat. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll work on that together. Um, Alyssa, I want to thank you for being on uh, Road Trip Radio and uh, good luck in the upcoming uh, World Championships. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Take care. You too. 
You're listening to Road Trip Radio. This is you doing quizzes on the open road with us, Sophia and Zoe, whales, tall tails, spuds, and buds. Let's hit the road. You want to go? Go. Let's go. All right. Okay. Cool. Fine. Let's hit the road. Yeah. Hey, I'm here. Wow. The traffic today was a real doozy. Zoe, you don't have a car. Yeah, well, I meant the foot traffic. We're roommates. We left the house at the same time. (laughs) Well, I guess we just took totally different routes then, didn't we? Okay, I see where you're getting at. And mine was a real adventure that you missed out on. I was just going to ask you if you wanted to go on a different adventure. A choose-your-own-adventure. You bet I do. This Detours game is going to take us through a couple notable sites in Nova Scotia. Listeners, follow along with us. Choose your destination as we move through the province. But beware. Only one route will take you all the way to the end of this journey. And we'll drop the rest of you off as we go. Let's go. Okay, you've just reached the province's capital, Halifax. The first thing you do is... One. You're feeling peckish, so you head to the Five Fishermen restaurant downtown. Two. You stroll over to Pier 21, a ship terminal where immigrants arrived to Canada. In fact, over a million people came to Canada through Pier 21 between 1928 and 1971. An important landmark in Canada's immigration history. If you chose to sit down at the Five Fishermen, sit tight. You might have extra dinner guests you were not anticipating. The restaurant is said to be haunted. When the Titanic sank in April 1912, the building was used as a funeral home for victims of the tragedy. But if you chose Pier 21, let's hop on a boat and get out of town. Okay, guys, you're the captain of this ship. Do you choose to go north to Joggins Fossil Cliffs in Joggins or south to Peggy's Point? If you went to Joggins Fossil Cliffs, a real mouthful, then get digging. The cliffs are famous for its fossils that date back as far as 300 million years ago. Your journey on this adventure ends here, since you'll be eagerly digging away looking for fossils. Maybe you'll even find a new dinosaur. Good luck! If you chose Peggy's Point, you'll be visiting one of the over 160 historic lighthouses in the province. But this one is extra special. It's supposedly the most photographed lighthouse in Canada. Get that on your Instagram. Like, 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 like! Take in the sights of this beautiful fishing town, but let's get ready to move on. Do you want to go east to the world's largest fiddle in the Port of Sydney, or west to the giant pumpkin race in Windsor? If you went to the world's largest fiddle, you'll be craning your neck to see the top of this 60-foot sculpture. While you're plucking away at those exceptionally long strings, we're going to get going. Catch you later. If you chose the giant pumpkin race... Prepare to take part in a -a one-of-a-kind regatta. In this Windsor, Nova Scotia tradition, you'll be racing the competition in a hollowed-out giant pumpkin instead of a boat. Some of these pumpkins weigh over 800 pounds. That's a big pumpkin. And what a gourd idea. (laughs) Now sail that thing over yonder. It's time to make our next move. Do you want to take a private plane to Sable Island, or do you drive down to Oak Island? If you're now on Sable Island, a crescent-shaped island 300 kilometers off the coast and also Canada's newest national park, you've got your feet in the sand. 
watch the sunset, and hang out with those shaggy-haired locals. We're talking about those 400 wild horses that live on the island. This is where your trip ends. But enjoy! If you're at Oak Island, welcome to the Money Pit. Legend has it that in 1795, a treasure was buried deep beneath the sand of the island, and as a result, it's been excavated numerous times by many brave souls. Congratulations! You made it through our Nova Scotia journey, and you struck gold! Hope you had fun. And remember, every fork in the road is just a new adventure. And every giant fiddle is just an exceptionally long string waiting to be plucked. (laughs) Wisdom. We're back with more Road Trip Radio. I'm Pat Kelly, and with me, as always, is Caitlin Howden. And today on the Road Trip, we are talking about all things Nova Scotia. And no talk about Nova Scotia would really be complete without mentioning the bagpipes. Because outside of Scotland itself, I can't think of anywhere where bagpipes are more popular than here, Nova Scotia. Yeah, popular and bagpipes. Not exactly two words you often hear in relation to one another, huh? Well, I personally love the bagpipes, and I think they should be more popular. Hmm. So uh, why don't we play a little game here, Caitlin, where I'm going to test your knowledge of the bagpipe. I really wish you wouldn't. Well, that's what we're doing. So what is the name of the pipe on which the bagpipe notes are played? I don't know, a saxophone. Huh? No, it's the chanter. Oh, darn, I failed the quiz. That's okay. I know you didn't. I have 11 more questions for you. So uh, question number two. There's a large sack that is part of the bagpipe, and yeah, that's full of air, and you need to squeeze that sack really hard. Okay, so now is a really great time to check in on Pete, tradition. see how he's doing at the lobster carnival. Last we spoke to Pete, he was having a bit of a hard time getting into the lobster itself. Hopefully things have gotten better for Peter. Peter, are you there? (laughs) Hey, Caitlin. Great to hear from you. Uh, Great to be uh, back on Road Trip Radio with an update from the Pitto Lobster Festival, where I have learned a lot in a very short period of time uh, about eating lobster. And uh, the big one here, the big penny that dropped for me, is the outside of the lobster is actually not edible. That's not what you eat. (laughs) Once I made that discovery, that inside meat is delicious. (laughs) And right now, I'm 13 lobsters in. That's a baker's dozen, and I'm not slowing down at all. (laughs) Oh, Peter, I think that's... those are mine. Those are mine. That's that's a lot of lobster to eat in one day. (laughs) It, It would be a lot of lobster to eat in one day, but people here are baffled that that's how much I've eaten in an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'm not slowing down. Peter, please eat some sort of vegetable or have a salad. I wish I could do that, Caitlin. Unfortunately, that's some valuable real estate in the stomach uh, that could be reserved for lobster. And that is my plan. Uh, you're hearing it here for the first time. I'm going for the lobster world record. That is the most lobsters consumed by one person at one sitting. And I am going for it. 78 lobsters. Those are mine. And bring that bucket over, the bucket of butter. That's mine, too. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Uh, so that's what I'm doing here. Yes. I'm glad that you're having fun. Uh, Please take care of yourself. I absolutely will. And I'm just glad that I've stopped eating those shells because I think that that uh, certainly could cause a medical situation. I've I've just averted that. And now it's just uh, going straight down my gullet on that carpet of butter. It's beautiful. Mm. Well, while Peter overdoes it, I think now would be a really good time to check out this documentary. (laughs) 
Well, it's not uncommon to see female police officers in Canada in 2017, but it wasn't always this way. Have you ever thought about who was the very first female police officer in the country? Well, Emily Baron Kadloff is in Nova Scotia with that story. What do you know about Canada's first policewoman? Not very much. All I know, it's fairly new and they're really nice people. When do you think Canada first had a woman working within the police? I think probably around the 50s, like after the war. Okay, so you think that she was probably doing like all of the paperwork while like the men actually went out and did the police stuff? Yeah, it seems like the more stereotype thing it would start out to be like. Would you be surprised if I told you that unofficially the first policewoman in Canada started in 1810? No, wow. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I am kind of surprised. And that's a lot to live up to. That's like a real hero to look up to and stuff. Well, instead of driving a police car or maybe even riding a horse, Canada's first policewoman started with a wheelbarrow and a stick. This is the story of Rose Fortune, and it begins in America. We don't know much about what Rose's early life was like, but Rose Fortune was born, as far as we can tell, in 1774 in Philadelphia. She was the daughter of former slaves who came up to Canada and settled in Nova Scotia. Well, she was a character in town. That's Ian Lawrence, a history buff. I've lived in Annapolis Royal since 1958. When Rose and her family arrived in Nova Scotia in 1783, they came to Annapolis Royal, a little town about two hours west of Halifax. It's not very big, but it does have a wharf, and that's how Rose got her start. She started out carrying bags from the ships on the waterfront to the hotels in town. Rose used a wheelbarrow for this and got up every day to carry luggage back and forth from the waterfront. That might not sound like the best job, but she was good at it. So good that she became known around town as a woman not to be messed with. I don't think Rose mints words. You know, I think if something needed to be said, she said it. If something needed to be done, she did it. And she was known to carry, carry a stick and uh, clear the path in front of her if, if somebody didn't jump out of the way in time for as she was passing. And that's how she became known as Canada's first policewoman. Rose enforced the laws in town with that stick, making it hard to get away with any trouble when she was around. I suspect that all the young louts and smart mouths in town probably learned the hard way to, to respect Rose. Rose worked for years carrying heavy luggage in the hot sun, trying to provide for her family. But this was harder than you might think. Don't forget that Rose was black. And in Canada in the early 1800s, being black and a woman meant things like getting a job or speaking up in town. They just weren't done. There's no way that this woman would be considered the equal of even probably the poorest uh, of, the, uh, of the whites in this, in this community. And, you know, she's sort of bucking a number of, of trends here. That's Barry Moody. Uh, I've lived in the Annapolis Valley for all of my life, and I'm a retired professor of history from the Department of History at Acadia University. Barry has spent much of his career studying the black loyalists, like Rose. She came to Annapolis Royal when she was just 10 years old. She struggled to find a place to sleep, struggled to get enough to eat. Over the years, she bought a wheelbarrow and turned that wheelbarrow into a business. Today, there are hundreds of people who can trace their family tree all the way back to Rose. 
I'm Ken Francis, and I'm the great, 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 great grandson of Rose Fortune. Ken has lived with his family in Annapolis Royal his entire life. Yeah, Rose was a, he took, uh, took the range in her hand and tightened it up on a lot of guys. A lot of people, they tell me. So. Yeah? Yeah, they said that she was quite, 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 quite stern, yeah. She, Are you proud to be descended from someone like that? Sure, that, that's right. Ken was born in 1931, about 115 years after Rose was working with her wheelbarrow in town. In that century, society changed a lot. But even when Ken was growing up, things were hard for black people. The barbershops in town, when I was a young fella, you couldn't go in there and get a haircut on a black guy. Ken's second cousin, Doreen Lewis, was born around the same time as him and also grew up in the Annapolis Royal area. Like Rose, she made a big impression on the town. And she had lots of friends, including Ian Lawrence, the town's history buff. So she had a craft shop and... She engaged, you know, everybody strolled up and down the street. All the regulars would, you know, drop in. And what, what was Doreen like? Very opinionated, fun, you know, she a lot, lot of laughs. Very community-minded, very proud of her heritage and proud of the town. In 1984, Doreen was elected mayor of Annapolis Royal, the first black female mayor in Canada. So Rose was Canada's first policewoman, and Doreen, her descendant, was Canada's first black woman mayor. The best thing ever is that my own true kin, that sweet child, Doreen Lewis, do you know she was elected mayor of this here Annapolis Royal? Canada's first black lady mayor. That's Doreen on an old tape, speaking as her great-great-great-great-great-grandmother, Rose. She did an interview imagining how her ancestor would have reacted to all of her accomplishments. Can you imagine that, Mayor Doreen Lewis? So you see, I have every right to be proud. Rose died more than 150 years ago, but people are still learning about her now. On Canada Day, the town of Annapolis Royal will unveil a new monument in her honor, the ferry that runs from Nova Scotia to New Brunswick was just renamed the Fundy Rose. Plus, she's getting her own spot in the limelight. Hello, I'm uh, George Cameron Grant, and I'm the author of the play Fortune. George is a playwright. He spoke with me over the phone from his home in New Jersey. George first heard about Rose in 2013 when he was on vacation in Nova Scotia. I was mesmerized. I was gobsmacked. George started writing the play Fortune, which is based off Rose's life. The play was performed this spring at a New Jersey high school, and George hopes that other kids will be inspired by Rose. Rose is a hero. Rose is a little girl who will not take no threats and will not be stopped. Rose was the first policewoman in the country, which is hard enough. But she was also an immigrant, and she was black, and she lived in a time that made it very difficult for her to just live her life. But she fought. When you look at Rose Fortune, that's me. You were in no way looking at a slave. Oh, dearie, no. I set up on my own. I kept myself. To see the wharf where Rose got her start, check out Road Trip Radio on Instagram and Facebook. Road Trip Radio Community Calendar. It's now time for the Nova Scotia Community Calendar brought to you by these crazy kids. A warning, only one of these events is real, and it's up to you to decide which one it is. 
In celebration of Canada 150, Halifax is pleased to welcome the RCMP Musical Ride. If you like Mounties, horses, and Mounties on horses, then this event is for you. Next week, it's Nova Scotia Donut Days. This is your chance to go nuts for donuts. Mmm, donuts! On Saturday, Sydney is hosting the first annual underwater Quidditch tournament. Bring your brooms and scuba tanks. And that's the Road Trip Radio community calendar brought to you by these crazy community kids. Yeah! You're listening to Road Trip Radio. What you are about to hear is true. These events occurred a few years ago in the Canadian wilderness. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Last time on the Spaghetti Bandit, a construction crew surprised the bandit living in a cabin. The bandit scrambled out the back door and into the woods. Later, after the crew left for the day, the bandit returned, took his backpack, and made his getaway in a yellow kayak. I'm Grant Lawrence, and this is the story of the Spaghetti Bandit. Chapter 5 the storm. Several kilometers down the coast, Bob motored his boat through a horrendous storm towards his dock. Bob never let bad weather bother him. Bob rarely let anything bother him. He was generally a happy-go-lucky guy. Bob looked far younger than his years for a retiree. He was lean and very able, and Bob was just as much at home at his water access only cabin than he was anywhere even when a terrible storm was blowing up which it was on that march weekend after tying up his boat in the pouring rain his eyes were drawn to a brightly colored foreign object on his beach tucked behind a couple of logs was a yellow kayak its bowline was tied to a shoreline shrub, which indicated to Bob that it hadn't just drifted there in the storm. Someone had secured it there. At the time, Bob had no idea it was stolen. Bob peered into the beat-up old kayak, and it was filled with supplies, pots and pans and soiled maps and a soaking blue sleeping bag. Bob thought the kayak must belong to someone trying to wait out the storm. But where was this person? As Bob was sorting through the kayak, neighbors from the next bay slowly motored by in their boat. Bob waved them down and told them about the kayak, and they agreed that it was strange and maybe someone got caught up in the storm. So they radioed the RCMP. No one had been reported missing in the storm, but the cops promised to send out a launch to investigate. The neighbors headed into town, leaving Bob alone against the wilderness. Bob carefully inspected his cabin and noticed something odd. A chest-high mud stain on the outside of his sliding glass door. It was as if someone had placed their shoulder against it. But everything was secure. No one had broken in. Then he walked along the shoreline to his neighbor's tiny one-room cabin. They had a Dutch door, you know, the kind uh, with the top half that can open and the bottom half stays shut. Curiously, the top half was open, and yet Bob's neighbors 
hadn't been at their cabin all winter long. Peering inside, Bob saw a large pile of sodden clothes on the floor. Bob hesitantly entered the one-room cabin and was immediately besieged by the odor. It reeked of rotten B.O., like someone who hadn't showered in a long, long time or worse. It smelled like decay. Someone truly filthy had been living in that tiny cabin for a long time, weeks, months, maybe all winter long. Bob's heart raced when he noticed the bottom bunk. Was there someone under the blankets? Bob considered getting out of there, but he couldn't move. Finally, Bob spoke. Hello? The figure didn't move. Hello? Hesitantly, Bob reached down and pulled back the blanket. For the next installment of the Spaghetti Bandit, head to the Yukon episode. To start the story from the beginning, jump back to B.C. Road Trip Radio is made possible with the support of our sponsors. Mail Order Mattress, The Pudding Cannon, and Picker's Paradise. Attention, vintage lovers. Is your passion for trinkets, folk art, and furniture made from before today driving you wild? Well, satisfy that hunger by heading down to Picker's Paradise, the best and biggest antique market in Canada. Picker's Paradise. Well, it's a 400,000-square-foot barn crammed full of dusty, breathtaking junk. From yesteryear, treat yourself to a confusing walk down memory lane. Well, we've got it all, from old coffee tins to old tobacco tins to old lozenge tins to old tin toys. Yes, friends, Picker's Paradise is the perfect place to buy something that months later will have you asking, well, now, why'd I buy this? Marvel at old wood. Bask in the scent of mothballs. Get creeped out by the old lady who runs the porcelain doll selection and count the number of times she says, isn't she precious? Picker's Paradise, located just off Highway 8 in the middle of a field. Open most Sundays, 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. That's a Picker's Paradise. Well, we're running dangerously close to the end of the Nova Scotia episode. But before we go, uh, we do have time for a quick game of trivia. And Caitlin Howden is here. Caitlin, no, thank you. Are you in to some trivia? It's just your trivia is so bagpipe based, Pat. It's just I'm oh, not no, no, interested. No, this is not bagpipe based trivia. This is something totally different. Okay, sure. Let's famous play. Famous Canadian. Oh, great. Let's play. Okay. So your first question is, uh, what do these four famous Canadians all have in common? Mm. Ellen Page, mm-hmm. Sarah McLaughlin, mm-hmm. rock and roll group Sloan, mm-hmm. and Sidney Crosby. Oh, I know this one. They're all from Nova Scotia. Uh, well, yes, technically you are correct, but more importantly, they all love the bagpipe. Okay, that's and enough. So I think you know what? Now's a great time to check in on Peter Oldering. Last we checked, Peter had had a bit of a hard time figuring out how to eat lobsters and was now going to break a world record for lobster eating. So, Peter, how are those lobsters tasting? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Is that Caitlin? Hi, Peter. It's Caitlin and Pat. Yeah, Caitlin, I'm here. I'm, oh, I'm here. I, uh, oh, no. I think I, uh, I don't know why anybody didn't warn me about this. I think I might have overdone it. I've, um, I'm, I, I can't eat any more lobster. I'm, I'm not feeling very good right now. How, how many lobsters uh, did you eat, Peter? Uh, the last I remember was people chanting the number 63. And then that, the chanting just kind of subsided as I would say numbers 40 to 63 all came back up. Peter, please. Please find someone that can help you. Is there yeah. anyone around that you can no, ask for medical attention? Everywhere I sort of turn my face, people just kind of back off, you know? They're, it's like they're scared of what might happen. Uh, oh, Peter, why didn't anybody warn me? Uh, we did warn you, Peter. We did. Uh, now, say hi to Pat, yeah? Uh, oh, time for me to go. Get that bucket over here. Not the butter one, the empty one. Peter? Pat, what do we do? No, I wouldn't worry. He'll be fine. Okay. Well, folks, it looks like we're out of time, but we want to thank you for listening to this episode of Road Trip Radio. We really do appreciate it. And before we go, we want to leave you today with the sound of a dock worker eating a Halifax Donaire from the famous Pizza Corner in downtown Halifax. We'll see you all next province. Goodbye. Road Trip Radio has been made possible by the Government of Canada and is produced by Kelly and Kelly Creative and Sumo Audio. Research by Matt Masters, Janice Tufford, and Leslie Johnson. With contributions by Dave Shumka, Brian Short, Paul Tedeschini, Sophia LePage, Zoe Robertson, Grant Lawrence, Jen Bohm, Naomi Sneekis, Matt Barham, Mike Balazzo, Sandy Jobin Bevins, and the Road Trip Radio Kids from Arts Umbrella in Vancouver. Yeah! Keep listening to Road Trip Radio, broadcasting 24 hours a day.